Welcome, everybody. You're listening to the Cartoncast. My name is Ben. And my name is Zane. And this is our ever-popular, ever-expanding, and ever-turgid bootlegged segment where we look <laughs> Ten at Ten seconds. Yeah, it didn't last long. And uh, this is our bootlegged segment where we look at an animated feature film. And today we are talking about The Great Mouse Detective. Indeed. Uh, this is the 26th Disney animated feature film mm-hmm. and was directed by... Um, let me see if I'm getting this right. Bernie Madison, Madison, David Meichner, John Musker, and Ron Clements. The latter two whom were responsible for, among other things, Treasure Planet. Oh, yeah. So we've dealt with them before. Yeah. No, we, we probably should have reached further back into Disney's past, but we got, uh, we got recommendations from your friend and my wife uh, to look at my this wife. one, so... Indeed, and uh, I mean, I I can see why. Um, this was so. So, uh, the Great Mouse Detective is a is an adaptation of a children's book, Basil of Baker Street, that's written by Eve Titus. Yep, and is named for wh- whom was named for Basil Rathbone, whom played Sherlock um, in the old. Uh, TV show. Right. It was actually one of Sherlock's aliases, if I read that correctly. That's correct, yeah. Um, the the name was changed from that of the book series because the CEO of Disney thought that the name Basil was too English. Too English. <laughs> too English. <laughs> I, I like the idea of a high-powered executive just dismissing it out of hand. <laughs> bah! <laughs> this will never sell. Um, but yeah, it came out in 1980s. Nobody knows what a basil is. Did you, uh, did you happen to see other... Um, other titles that he mentioned in his kind of flippant letter about oh, no. how much he hated the title. Oh no! Oh, it's great. He uh, he gave a he, uh, one of the animators wrote a satirical office memo in response to him changing the name. <laughs> that was uh, that uh, decided to rename Disney films with titles such as Seven Little Men Help a Girl," <laughs> "The Wonderful Elephant Who Could Really Fly," "The Little Deer Who Grew Up." The girl with the see-through shoes, two dogs fall in love, puppies taken away, and a boy, a bear, and a big black cat. <laughs> that last one's all, like, actually good. Oh, Zane, I can loop this back into Jeopardy. The, the generic titles in that list became a category for Jeopardy. I really like it. I knew I could get there. But um, yeah. But so. yeah, so, so the movie came out in 1986 following The Black Cauldron, which, you know, was... They started looking at animation like I don't know this this is starting to look like a bad idea uh, and so ah, what this do you movie... got this this flip this this moving pictures this moving pictures what he doesn't even have real people's faces in it yeah yeah so this crazy ideas this movie really flipped that house you know it, it pimped that ride of Disney it animation did. yeah it it wagged that dog and uh, from it had pretty positive reviews and financial success and set the stage for what was known as the Disney Renaissance where such classics as like uh, Little Mermaid. Aladdin, Little Mermaid, all came out in the 1989 to 1999 period, mm-hmm. and is probably some of the most successful animation ever, like to date. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this was a little bit before like, then, and it, the, it the, brings the kind of stuff that goes one to one against, um, you know, the great anime from yeah, Studio Ghibli. Yeah, Lilo and shit. Lilo, Lilo and shit. Lilo and shit. Shrek. You know, like. All the really great animations that we see nowadays is so often compared to the greats such as like Aladdin. And this was just a little bit before then. 
And it reminded me of, uh, specifically, remember, we did DuckTales, which is where Walt Disney was, it was done also in 1986, and where is where Disney was starting to mm-hmm. really invest heavily in uh, animation, M- most, more specifically in serial animation, such as at DuckTales. But it was also where they got enough cash flow and enough reason to start really uh, exploring creatively different animation styles. Yeah, and I'm curious what would happen if they had pursued this uh, right when they came up with it, because they thought about it, the idea, in 1977, uh, after making The Rescuers, but they didn't want to do it immediately because it was too similar. Sure, and and, I mean, this has a lot of similarities with other stuff, with one important caveat, which is that... uh, the Great Mouse Detective, which was based on Basil of Baker Street, follows around the adventures of uh, one Basil, whom is Mouse Sherlock Holmes, essentially. <laughs> yes, like, as he goes through Mouse England and fights yeah. Ma- Mouse Moriarty. Yes. <laughs> well, Rat Moriarty in the movie. Right, correct. Um, but don't say it. Don't say that. It's <laughs> And presumably they went with this because it's hard to lose money on a Sherlock Holmes story. I think that that was exactly it, and that um, that really did kind of limit what this movie could do, which uh, which I'll get into exactly why I think so. But uh, I think this may be one of the weaker Disney titles that I've seen in recent memory. Like it's still good. It was good for the time, especially. I think we're spoiled now because they they've really like talked to a bunch of psychologists and figured out exactly how to make my brain glow. Yeah, I you know I think it might be one of those things where it just is the target demographic was right and the rest didn't really matter yeah um uh, this actually you know hit very commercially successful contrast that with something like treasure planet which john musker and also and ron clements also worked on but in my eyes was much more original in adaptation and had a lot more going for it yeah um and and we'll probably be referencing um five will goes west yeah, all of, of the movies that we've looked at. Um, but that movie actually came out after this one. So if there's any plagiarism, <laughs> it goes in that direction. You, you remember that one like train spotting esque scene where Dawson is kind of freaking out on Crank and, you know, his, his loved one holds his head and says it's easy to win. So we can probably bring back uh, a scanner darkly yeah, as the, well. <laughs> all the movies that we do are, are in this sort of weird all canon. ultraverse. Mm-hmm. Um, Bo- Bonnie shows no, up. There, there are some striking similarities with Five Goes West. Um, very specific things, but but we'll get into right. it. The the main one being that it is mouse people. Mouse people. Uh, that there's a cabaret dance by someone named Miss Kitty. Um, Was it by Miss Kitty? So the mouse in this the the mouse stripper in this movie. If you look at the uh, the credits, she is named Miss Kitty. Sure. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Which is weird. No Jimmy Stewart in this movie, but uh, if we get to the characters, yeah, we yeah. can talk about well, what kind of voice talent um, we had on it. Yeah, and and I, you know, I hope I don't get confused. Uh, we, re- we uh, my wife and I recently watched Gene Wilder's movie, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes' Smarter Brother. So I'm hoping, <laughs> fuck, <laughs> I'm hoping I don't get it mixed up. Like what plot points happened in which movie? <laughs> What kind of what kind of title is that? <laughs> a, like a very passive aggressive one. <laughs> yeah. So wait, is that, is that about him? Is that about his relationship with um, uh, what's his face? Mycroft? No, it's Mycroft. a third brother. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. 
And, and they say, like, like, you expect it, like, oh, they just haven't heard of Mycroft. But no, he's like, wait, Sherlock, you didn't tell me you had another brother. Like, yeah, and I didn't tell you that I had a brother Mycroft at all until you <laughs> needed to know. Because yeah, Sherlock Holmes is a perpetual sociopath. Smarter brother. Um, well, speaking of the character Sherlock Holmes, shall we talk about the yes. characters briefly and then go into the plot? Yes, so Sherlock Holmes is uh, Basil. Yep, he does have a first name, but it's not important. We call him Basil. He is from Baker Street. Uh, People know him as Basil of Baker Street. And, and he's voiced by Barry Ingram, who was apparently given the role after auditioning for six minutes. Ingham, I believe. I didn't see an R in there. Uh, I sometimes put R's in words where they don't belong. It's it's a, you know. Barristan Ing- Ingham. Um, <laughs> um, and who, they actually use some of yeah. his audition material in the final film. They're like, this is too good. We can't waste a drop. Yeah, that, so this is interesting because uh, in at adapting Sherlock Holmes to something uh, that you want kids to watch, you have to make certain sacrifices, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, so like... Limit the amount of scenes where he's injecting blow and play up the, you know, awkward Hugh Grant-esque, you know, you know, befuddled idiot. Violin? Good. Chemistry? Good as long as it's not blood, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Like, there's there's a line there. So, um... In a way, I think that this is a very good Sherlock Holmes because it does follow that humanizing arc for to a T. Yeah. In all the in all the adaptations of Sherlock Holmes that I see, they really play that up. Both the um, the British uh, serial uh, where he's played by Benedict Cumberbatch, I think maybe the best uh, depiction of Sherlock Holmes I've ever seen, which mm-hmm. is great. There's also the one uh, with Johnny Depp, which I think is pretty good for the movies. And they both follow that humanizing arc where, like, he doesn't need people until one of them finally is let into his life. And that kind of turns him around. Yeah, I, So it I, follows that quite well. I think their portrayals in this movie are very true and very impressive. Um, you know, uh, this teamwork on behalf of the animation and the voice actors hitting exactly the right note. I think it's a very faithful adaptation. Well, in another way, it's actually, I think that it's Sherlock at his very worst, because he's not really deductive. He's intuitive, but mm. he's, he doesn't have that caution or that, like, omniprescience that I would associate with a good Sherlock. Yeah, it's sort of sort of a young Sherlock. Uh, yeah, this is, like, one of his first cases before he, like, this is, like, him right out of school. This is, like, Jimmy Kudo, almost. Right. Well, the interesting thing is is that, um, From, you know, uh, case in, closed. In, in the movie, it's established that Basil lives underneath Sherlock Holmes's house. Yeah, in one of the weirdest, like, most redefining context moments <laughs> in any movie. But I like the <laughs> wait, idea that... Wait, what? <laughs> I like the idea that he's just a normal mouse who, like, sees Sherlock Holmes and is like, okay, I need to act just like him and I'll be successful. Yeah. Not realizing, like... Oh my god, this guy is the shit. <laughs> there's more stuff involved than just risking the lives of everyone around you. Yeah, I know. And and so he's probably going through that transformation at the same time as regular Sherlock is. Uh-huh. Um, and he, he's crafted his life in such a way that it's all mirroring his idol's life, which is... It, it's pretty funny, and it adds an interesting, like, hero worship character to him mm-hmm. in the same way, by the way, that Jimmy Kudo had in Case Closed. Yeah. Yeah, he, and we, he, we see that introductory arc. Mm-hmm. And we see him uh, meet his Dr. Watson, who is Dr. Dawson. Yeah. So uh, 
when I first heard him talk, I got very strong shades of the Sultan from Aladdin because it's the same voice. <laughs> You're not His wrong. His name is uh, Valentine Betton, and he yeah. plays this kind of stuttering, well-meaning, doddering old man, doddering yeah. old do-gooder. I think that this is this could have been a lot better than it was. I think this portrayal was less less accurate. I think it was fine. I think that he just didn't get enough bite of the plot. Like we don't know why he's there at all. Yeah, he's just sort of cataloging everything. He's he's just writing Sherlock's memoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't really see their their partnership gets played up a couple of times. But beyond that, he's uh, he's not that interesting in his own right because we don't really know what motivates him. He's yeah. just a nice person who's along for the ride. The the two of them together have some pretty good chemistry, but on his own, he's lacking charisma. He's he's not that interesting to watch on his own. Yeah, I much prefer Bilbo. Yeah. Um, but if I had to choose a voice actor for a doddering old man Watson or Dawson, I would choose the Sultan every time. It's like that, <laughs> that voice sounds so good to me. No, yeah, the the voice and, casting. And it'll I be Mary and this is very good. Yeah, um, the reason one of the reasons that Dawson and Sherlock don't really explore their partnership very much is because the people who made the movie decided to make Basil um, have a uh, have a foil in the form of a young girl mm-hmm. in the manner of wolverine so enter olivia flavisham flavors ham flavors ham and i think the reason that basil and dawson can't really hit it off as this partnership is because basil is busy playing off of uh off of olivia's character yeah so that dynamic is a lot more in your face so they don't have time for the watson and holmes the relationship to develop um for most yes. of the film basil treats olivia as an annoyance to be kept as as far away as possible out of harm's way but really just out of his way yeah i mean I, yeah that's <laughs> sorry I, I lost my train of thought um that that is that is how it's played and um what's interesting about olivia is that she has sort of this because she's kind of she was brought up only by her father she's She's brought up by a single parent whom gets kidnapped, so she's just, like, trying to latch on to anyone who will wants to help her. Mm-hmm. And so she takes Dawson's help, but then redirects all of the emotions that she should be having for Dawson, who wants to help her, and puts it into <laughs> Basil because he's actually, like, good at what he does. Right. So she wants him to be better than he actually is, and that serves as sort of a moral anchor that becomes more defined as the as the movie goes on. Sure. No, I like that a lot. Yeah, like like he hasn't deserved her adoration, but he's all she, he's the only shot she has. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there's a yeah. few more characters. You know, Frank Welker plays a, a dog and a cat. That's right. Um, but really, Wait, he played both of them. <laughs> the only other real major noted animorph Frank Welker. <laughs> oh my gosh, I want. <laughs> um, the only other major character is the evil Ratigan. Yeah, Ratigan is great. Uh, who is uh, voiced Vincent, by Vincent Price. Who is Vincent Price. Yeah. And um, I didn't notice this until I looked up his page. He apparently did the narration in Thriller. I, I know. <laughs> that was my reaction. <laughs> like, I think oh, we of should play Thriller in the background sometime during the broadcast. Uh, um, in regards to the character of Radigan, Vincent Price said... That's character. 
Vincent Price said that... Best character in the thing. <laughs> ...that he was both a great villain and also he was playing a great villain. Yeah. It's... <laughs> like, yeah. It's, he's, like, he's, he's so over the top. Yeah, right, and... He's so, loving what it. I really, what I really love about Sherlock villains, villains in general is that they all take it very personally. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're not just trying to rule the world. They're trying to rule the world by beating Sherlock. <laughs> it's sort of like Dr. Draken wants to prove that he wants to do it in a very like ostentatious way so that everybody knows that he did it. But I, I love that he's such an imposing figure because, you know, he's a rat in the movie. And so you have this gigantic burly guy. You know, you think of a, a Sherlock Holmes villain, it's like, it's all about the mind. He's a professor. You know, he he's thinking. He's going to be this little, you know, wimpy nerd playing chess in his astronomy lab. No, this guy is just a gigantic brute who put on a tux. Yeah, almost almost Mr. Hyde at times. Yeah. He, he reminds me, actually, of Skeletor a lot because he's, like, <laughs> rallied the forces of evil under him whom are only there because they like how evil Skeletor is, and he doesn't want to win unless he can do it by beating He-Man personally. Yes. Uh, the, his personality so, uh, apparently came from when the casting director was looking at pictures of railroad workers in London, and they found one of a guy with a top hat, dressed up nice, cigar in his mouth, and he just loved it. And the quote is, um, <laughs> he's a sewer rat dressed like a king, and he lives like a king. <laughs> yeah. I, and this is definitely someone from low birth with, like, delusions of grandeur. Yeah, because, you know, he lives in a boot. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And he, he and even later in the movie, it's revealed kind of through context that he dislikes Basil because of how, like, proper Basil is. Uh-huh. Like, in equal parts. Like, he doesn't like that Basil's getting his way, but he also hates that Basil is, like, well-to-do and proper gentleman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that comes out a little bit. I want to point out that a very strong um, thing to watch for is how both of these two characters, because at the end of the day, Sherlock is really about him versus Moriarty, how the two characters both operate solely on pride. Yeah. Like their pride is their downfall or their asset, depending on how they use it. These characters so, do not exist in a vacuum. No. Um, he's just as prideful and obsessive as Basil, but is like slightly more unscrupulous and has a has a ambition beyond himself. Yeah. So, but he's he's really loving the villainy, and he he gets a couple of different songs about how much like how he likes evil being he is. an asshole. Yeah, and it's like we'll talk about it when we get there. But I'd like to remind everyone that this movie was rated G. Yeah, this there's some. There's some pretty weird stuff in there. And it's a, um, it's a dark, atmospheric movie in general. At times. Like, I think that that uh, that the that the music kind of undercuts how dark and atmospheric I want it to be. Like, I think that I think that the environment is pretty dark and atmospheric. Like, they have a bar scene. They they're, they have a fight, in, like, on a clock tower in the rain. <laughs> like, uh -huh. that's pretty good. Yeah, do we want to talk about uh, animation and audio up front? Well, I would like to say that I think that, I mean, we don't have to, but I think that the audio does not bear out the tone of that I, that I generally associate with Sherlock. And I think a lot of what I'm going to be talking about throughout this is that it's a good movie, but it's not a good Sherlock movie. Interesting. But uh, we can we can start getting Well, no, I mean, um, I, so I have some comments uh, from Chrissy about... Oh, sure. Just like, 
that uh, that I'll try to pepper in a little bit, but mostly mm-hmm. she wanted to make sure that we really hit on the animation, the dialogue, and the music, and how they affected her because she she watched this a bunch growing up. And sure, um, so in in regards to the music, um, you know, she was really into them, not just the songs, but the background, and she she thought that it meshed really well with the film and, and set the tone. Um, it's a more active participant in the movie than a lot of animated films and uh she said that she could remember big chunks of it in a way that with other movies just not so much yeah i think i kind of disagree i mean i would love to have her on to like be able to defend her opinion and i'm not going to discount it because i've i've only seen the movie once maybe she's right and i just wasn't paying attention but to me the music felt very much in the background and it's you know classical and stuff that i've already heard from disney so like i could easily see that music in pretty much any disney film and that just the fact that it wasn't unique to this movie made it a little bit less uh less cohesive with what i think they were trying to do so um, uh I'm, the, I'm interested that she got that from it and i didn't though like well may, maybe she was focusing on a little more than i was or maybe i'm spoiled for choice maybe i, I think that we happened to watch a low quality um version of it is the one that we found because it it wasn't as good um Mm. but i don't know if this is your first introduction to sort of orchestral dark noir sound that could be pretty powerful yeah Yeah, Um, like i mean i don't care who you are the first time you hear anything by hans zimmer you're just like whoa this is what epic means but then when you hear the sixth one and it's the same one you're like yeah yeah okay i get it he's pretty entrenched in this (laughs) you know Uh, so maybe it was just that the music here was produced by uh henry mancini the guy who did the pink panther theme Mancini. This was his first animated film, and he went on to do just a ton of stuff, including um, Baby Elephant Walk. Yeah, which is great. Can can you uh, can you hum a little bit for me right now? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, or cut it in. Sure. I, I might I might have veered into the Seinfeld theme song briefly. <laughs> Uh, what what else did she have to say? Uh, so ter- so I've completely con- contradicted her on one. Okay, let's um, go down the list. She, what else can I tell? Say, say she's wrong about. It. Let's go. Well, she said that she found the movie very visually striking. Okay, um, also wrong. Third one. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> what did you? <laughs> like, the use of character shadows gave it. Yeah, a different tone? on the chessboard. Remember that? Yeah. Where it's like it shows all the pawns and all the shadows that they cast, and then the characters come up on the chessboard and they cast the same kind of shadows. Oh, so good. And there's a ton of detail, especially in Basil's house, that bears repeat viewing. Um, and apparently, the the Big Ben clock tower scene uh, was Disney's first blending of computer generated animation with hand drawn characters. And, and it fucking paid off. It, like, that was the greatest scene in the, the whole movie. The scale is gigantic. Um, oh yeah. And she said that, you know, she really feels that you're inside Big Ben. Yeah, in a way. And they do some nice uh, rotation of the camera that really sell the... Oh, I I got vertigo. I was... Oh, I was pretty into it. Um, And the last thing that she wanted to mention was the dialogue, um, which apparently she quotes to herself regularly. Um, Really? Years after she had last seen it. There's some good stuff. I don't think there's, like... 
I mean, there's a couple good lines from Radigan, especially, but I, I don't know about in general. I think I think it's more like the minor, a lot of the minor characters, they each have their own voice. Did, um, did she just pick up on the phrase elementary, dear Dawson? Because if that's the <laughs> phrase she remembers, I have some very sour grapes for her. Uh, she spent a while trying to mimic uh, fidgets, uh, the bat's sound, which is... Oh my god. I, yeah, I, discovered, I discovered that's not actually possible because they sped his voice up, um, you know, with a computer. He's, he's just Igor, isn't he? It's very... It's Igor-like. Like, that's what he's supposed to be, right? I think so. Like, he hunches because he's got the peg leg and everything? Okay, we're getting, like, way too yeah. into specifics. But, 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 but I actually... <laughs> I'm, I'm actually... I'm with her on this one. I think that the movie looks great, and I think that each character is very well fleshed out, especially compared to other stuff at the time. I'm not going to say that it doesn't look great, because it does. It just doesn't look like anything I haven't seen before, and that's something i'm more looking more for now that i've i'm so well versed in this medium is that i'm looking for it to do something that i haven't seen before which is why i was you know so emphatic about treasure planet which had this painting canvas technique and then also like the 3d and that 70 30 rule and all that stuff going for it Mm -hmm. this is a little bit more classic disney animation still good something i've seen before yeah um if that is all we have uh shall we get into the plot yes let's so it opens up with a narration by the sultan from aladdin (laughs) and i was immediately confused (laughs) we zoom in on some dark london streets uh we look at flavor ham's toy store where a (laughs) toy maker is giving his daughter olivia a gift and they're visited by a mysterious stranger. Even before that, uh, the narration, they bookend it with a narration from uh, the Watson character, Dawson. And mm-hmm. they do so by showing him kind of talking to himself as he's entering London for question mark, question mark, question mark reasons. Right, I, right. I don't think that's ever clear. The point that I wanted to point out is that they show the horse and carriage of a person and then they pan down to show him riding on the same carriage yes yeah, so and they it's do a thing a that constantly happens that didn't in five goes west they zoom in on the human counterparts first and then at the mice in case you forgot that the movie's about mice which can happen <laughs> well i mean it's not that i forgot but i like that this is all happening in a corner of the in a corner of the world that we're not privy to mm-hmm which, uh, like, I remember we were talking about an American tale versus Five Goes West. They didn't really show much of human society in Five Goes West because of the setting, but they did an American tale, which I thought was, like, I don't know, it grounded it a weird amount. Like, it made me think that I wasn't just in an alternate universe. It's okay. just I was now looking at a thing that I hadn't looked at before. That was right, right. my notice. And they do that a few times, and I'm always pretty into it. Um, but, yeah, as you said... It does open up in Geppetto's workshop, essentially. Yeah. There's a struggle, and the toy maker is kidnapped by this bat thing um, before it gets into your standard Disney opening with the intro music, with the narration. I thought that uh, they kind of humanize the f- the father and daughter, Olivia Flavisham, um, mm-hmm. pretty quickly and pretty well. Yeah, no, it, it's, like you said, standard Disney, but you know they give you the emotional beats that you need to care when mere seconds into the movie someone is kidnapped yeah we we immediately care about this character like these are like honed reflexes he that looks Disney like a nice guy you know it's the Gepe- it's the pinocchio geppetto thing it is that's already been established in the disney lore we're, we're ready we're ready for this not just that but it was a considered decision to make her a young girl as opposed to a, a they they were considering making it a 
potential love interest for Basil. Uh-huh. Well, not as a young girl, but like as you know, as like a as like a femme fatale or a dame or someone uh-huh. uh, walked into his boot, damn right up to heaven. <laughs> um, and uh, it was a considered decision to make her a young girl to get all the people to actually care about her. The the audience, rather. mission accomplished. Yeah. Did a pretty good job. Um, and it quickly shifts to showing that Watson Mouse is showing kindness to the child. Well, the narrator tells us, you know, gives us a little foreshadowing about the big overplot, which is that it's the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, which, why would the kids know what that is? It, it, it I think, I don't know, I barely understood that it was <laughs> going to be some sort of festival. It's like 60th anniversary of taking the matter, crown, right? It doesn't right? matter what it is. As long as we can tell that it's a festival, that's all we need. Yeah. Uh, but, but Dawson but walks But that into... doesn't come up for like half the movie no, away. it's so weird. <laughs> like, why would, they, why would they introduce it now? We don't need to know about that. It doesn't influence anything until Radigan, and you know, calls it back later. And it's not the part of the movie we care about? No. We just showed up to watch Sherlock Mouse. Everyone knows the score. Like, this movie could end after they get the the family reunited and i don't think anyone would really care i think it should have ended um in the bar scene <laughs> with just like uh with a frozen image of drunk dawson dressed up as a pirate <laughs> all right we're gonna need to build some context into and maybe this a movie slow before that makes out. sense <laughs> um, <All right. laughs> but yeah so dawson finds olivia crying and she says that she's trying to find basil the detective the famous detective because he's the only one that can help her, uh, and to be, Dawson to be leads honest, her there. To be honest, when I saw this scene, I thought that she was like a pickpocket and was going to take his shit. Please, sir, can I steal yeah. your things? <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, Dawson's a good guy. He helps her out, decides to show kindness to a child, you know, distracting him from his very important work that I'm sure exists, and uh, takes him to Baker Street, where they know that Watson, where that Basil is. Mm-hmm. By the way, I, I think that... Dawson is so cute. I was super into his mustache and his style of talking. I loved it. Like, I think he's the most fun to watch. He's not a very interesting character, but I love he's I so love much, the presentation. He's so much slower, though, than the principal protagonist and antagonist. You know, they're they're angular and dynamic in their motions. He's just sort of... Yeah, I mean, he's, he's meant to be a dumpus. You know? <laughs> dumpus. Dumpus. <laughs> um... And so we, we get a zoom in on the Sherlock Holmes, who actually lives in Baker Street. And and they took... 221 re- Baker Street, in fact. Like, they, they're, they're riding pretty hard on this parallelism. They took a recording from a Sherlock Holmes story and just used the dialogue in here. Do they? Yeah. So they have, like... Um, I think they have the Basil Rathbone um, voice of Sherlock from, like, an early recording and they just use that as dialogue in the movie it's pretty great okay Okay, sure (laughs) um but yeah he he lives in this like squat little area it's 221 baker street just like in like just like actual and we get a look inside and we get a look at what my chemist friend refers to as super legit chemistry (laughs) (laughs) so there's some there's these gizmos inside of this house because you know sherlock holmes he's a chemist he he you know, does tests on evidence to learn things. Sure. I And he, he cohabits, of course, with his, I don't know, landlady. Yeah. Uh, I don't know exactly what her... I, I don't know what exactly you call one of those. It's something British, right? Um, Like flat owner? Flat haster? 
something. Sure, I, I don't know. Like, it seems like he treats her like a servant, but that's been true to Sherlock in general anyway. And uh, I, I like this character a lot. Really? Uh, Basil? Oh, no, Basil, yeah. I thought you were talking about the landlady. No, 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 just bad segues. You know how it is. It's like, what <laughs> well, is this, one well, wheel? We don't, we don't see Basil just yet, because first it does this long... Oh, that's right. ...view of a Rube Goldberg machine, which this movie keeps doing. They're very... That this is this is some strong Goldberging. So let me let me walk you through this. A fire boils a teapot. Steam turns a fan, which turns a pulley, pumping the bellows, smoke, which smokes cigars, cigarettes, and a pipe by way of a candelabra. Yeah, it's legit. It's pretty. And there's also a print making machine. Like none of this makes any sense. Why would you I, make this? I have this? to imagine that Basil just slowly wore the landlady down. <laughs> Like why, she just why, why is there so much smoke? Oh, I'm smoking five cigars at once. Yes, I need. It's a, a big country. <laughs> it's flavor country is big. <laughs> but yeah. we we don't even meet Basil immediately because instead we get this bizarre Asian stereotype mouse barging in. Yeah, that was neat. What what exactly? I don't know what because he's a like, master of disguise, Ben. Like sure. <laughs> <laughs> like accepted i accept it because basil is such an excellent character and so much fun to listen to and watch like if they're going to just make a movie that i want to enjoy like it's not going to be a very deep movie considering who it's aimed at but thank goodness that they made made our main two characters so much fun to listen to and and they get his like his essence across immediately because he's got strangers in his house a little girl is crying for help and he just ignores ignores her like to the point of like he he interrupts her while she's talking (laughs) starts cleaning his gun in front of them (laughs) yeah Um, and just and and another sherlock thing just starts showing off to the other like you know male presence the other alpha male the the other oh hello i'm much smarter than you yeah (laughs) let me show you how i am the alpha male and uh correctly identifies where dawson is from and then says elementary dear dawson in a way that's just looking yeah, right at the audience they, and they, asking they take, us to like him. They take the Sherlock lines. He's got the cocaine. They're I mean, really the vi- riding violin. that hard, aren't they? I love. So I love the way he plays the violin when Olivia is like telling him her story, yeah, yeah. as if to say, "Oh, boo hoo for you." <laughs> I like the way he because like, it's literally the world's smallest violin. I, I hadn't thought of that, but I did notice that he's just. He's draped over that chair, and he reaches for the violin in sort of this, like his limbs are atrophied, Ooh. and he can barely manage it. He can barely pick himself up to do the it. The thrill of the hunt escapes me. Yeah, he's just so downtrodden from his own failures, which is the thing that keeps happening and is pretty relevant to his character. Yeah. Um, um, so he, he tries yeah. to extract himself from the conversation when Olivia mentions uh, the bat, whom he recognizes as a servant of Professor Rattigan. The Napoleon of crime. Yeah, what does that mean? You know how Napoleon was really good at something? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> of crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much in the, in the same way that he was also the Magic Johnson of crime. <laughs> right. Sure, yeah. I dig it. Uh, and in then the way that, that I am the Ben Relaford of podcasting. Aw, I think. <laughs> it's really hard to tell how to take that. <laughs> so... That uh, that leads into a scene where we actually get to look at Geppetto again, which is great because yeah. I like Geppetto. Uh, so, and it's 
Papa Flavisham is making a steampunk tea-serving robot. <laughs> what is happening in this <laughs> movie? Pretty crazy. And and Radigan comes yeah. in and chews the scenery for a little bit. Just He's ludicrously dramatic. <laughs> just foreshadowing with all his heart. His his costume is so much fun. It's it's like Zatara. He's gigantic. He's like this big the muscle man magician is so creepy <laughs> i love the idea of a of like magic johnson as a magician yeah like in one of those <laughs> it's like johnny bravo if he put on a magic show and just flexed his muscles <laughs> <laughs> yeah no Abra-dabra. that's 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 super great and uh, so, so I like all the characters in this. Like, I think the characterization is really great in this movie. I yeah. don't think that I really care about the plot at all. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I'm not that invested. Like, and I think they lead into the whole rivalry thing a little bit fast. Yeah, there's some pacing issues with this movie in general. Um, right. They, the fact that a lot of these relationships are just... So there are two kinds of relationships in this movie. Those that have been going on for a long time specifically basil versus radigan mm-hmm. and those that just happened like the friendship between him and dawson and olivia and all that and they are given the exact same weight well i don't think they are not like initially. people interact with each other as if they've known each other the same amount of time that's true like i, I they, they basil and his entourage are very familiar very quickly yeah that's what i mean which is a shame because, like, he wouldn't care about them at all. Like, I think he should have been a little bit more offhanded for the first parts of the movie, especially because that transition into actually caring about the people whom are good to him as opposed to his rivals is an important transition later. It's a hard balance to to make where, you know, for them, he's joining their mission to help, but for him, he's just joining because he needs the excitement. It's a hard thing to get across. Yeah, especially with something that's only, like, 80 minutes long. Yeah. Like, I get it. I mean, the other Sherlock movie is over two hours long, so they had time to set that up. And uh, But to be honest, they focused more on uh, Watson and Sherlock. They didn't really focus on the the mm-hmm. the uh, the villain, especially because the villain in the first Sherlock movie wasn't very strong. <laughs> anyway. Um... By the way, you know a lot more about Sherlock than I do. Although it now strikes me that we reference Sherlock quite a bit in our podcast. <laughs> this is like this is the eighth time that we have per- like a Sherlock. Then he is perhaps the most well-known fictional character besides Superman. Maybe so. Um, anyway. Or, um, or Radigan, Jesus. Radigan tells... <laughs> thanks, Ben. <laughs> He's not Ra- fictional. <laughs> Radical... Radical Radigan. <laughs> this is somebody in passing here. my skateboard. <laughs> I'm gonna skate right over a child. Yeah, so Radical Radigan tells Flavorham that, uh, Flaversham, that if he doesn't make him a secret robot by tomorrow, he's gonna, you know, he makes threats toward his daughter, so that keeps him in line. And he, he sends his bat Fidget out to get supplies, and then he goes into this lavish barrel ballroom. Yeah, and tries his best to, uh, sing be prepared but yeah. doesn't quite hit it so they call him professor radigan he's much more of a businessman he, you know he's almost a baron i would say oh that's a good yeah no that's exactly right baron von radigan that would be good and i was like expecting i'm like okay 
what are they going to do? Like, what's their evil plan? And he says, you know, at the Queen's Jubilee with uh, Flaversham's help, we're going to do... So- like, they don't explain yeah. it, but we do get a song instead. <laughs> like, I was... I did not know what to expect from this yes. scene. Step two, mm-hmm. step three, success. <laughs> like, he, he's playing his cards close to the chest, which is not a detail that I dislike. <laughs> from the brain that brought you the big Ben caper, the head that made headlines in every newspaper, and wondrous things like the Tower Bridge job, that cunning display that made Londoners sob. Now comes the real tour de force. Tricky and wicked, of course. My earlier crimes were fine for their times, but now that I'm at it again. An even grimmer plot has been simmering in my great criminal brain. Um, What I really like is when this song (laughs) devolves into, (laughs) like, my favorite quirk of his in the whole movie. Oh, the... the Yeah, so... Flying into a rage? So, yeah, flying into a rage. So what happens is they have this song where all of the miscreants, whom are, like, delightfully vagabondish, like, they all have, like, lengths of chain and tire irons and shit. No, these, and they're all, these like, guys are, like, straight taken from Captain Hook's pirate ship. Yeah, yeah, or... They, I mean... They're, they're, they're like, greasers or something. Like, like, they're just, like, miscreants that like evil because it's evil. It's so silly. And what, what did you think of the song? Uh, it, it sticks in my head, but I don't think it's very good. I, I didn't find the lyrics terribly impressive, although it, it definitely has that earworm quality. They, they do an interesting minor key transition into he's a jolly good fellow. The, the thing is, it's tonally inconsistent That's, with the yeah. scene. It's awkward. It is. Like, they're, they're far too uh, jubilant for the people that they are. Like, they should be singing a dirge or something. Or like, or like I said, they got very good at this later on, Disney did, when they did stuff like Be Prepared. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, that is the perfect song for that. But it's imagine totally... if it was like, like, what if what if Be Prepared half of the time was a chorus line of hyenas doing the, doing the can-can? Yes. So, <laughs> how do you get across, hey, we're evil, we're happy about it, and we're gonna, we're so happy If you're not Jack sing. Spicer. Right. Um... There was one lyric where they reference, he's like, this is the most diabolical plan ever. And they're like, worse than the widows and orphans you drown? Yeah, that's yeah, it's pretty pretty explicit. This movie is rated G. <laughs> it's fine. Like, I mean, this is Not even of, PG, then. Standards and practices were a little bit looser back then. Oh, yeah. Um, they weren't quite, like, yeah, I, I don't know. But I, I do like the character trait that is revealed once they go through enough of the song and a particularly drunk mouse refers to him as a great rat yes and this this he's one of them he's one of them self-hating rats right to murder yep (laughs) immediately to murder he rings this little bell which like i started getting a bit of a pavlovian to it because the bell summons this big honking frank welker cat yeah, did you did you get a lot of flashbacks to Catterwall around this? Yes, scene? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Did we actually see a cat mouse murder in Fievel? Because they just like they don't shy away from it here. It, it's Catterwall drawn out. To. Yeah, like yeah, it's it's pretty explicit. And he says, "I will not, you know, I will not have this. No one can call me that. I'm not a rat. I'm a mouse." 
yeah a, a biker mouse now from <laughs> mars now yeah that's a little director's cut in the book he actually is a mouse but here right. he's very clearly a rat biologically speaking yeah and i think this is, this is a very fun little thing to do his character and as i said before really sets up that contrast to basil because basil is a well-to-do mouse gentleman and you know i almost could start to like unravel the history between these two where like they were comrades but one of them was treated very well and the other one was shunned by like i don't know whatever society they were a part of because he was a rat so he sort of resents his low birth i don't know what their relationship is because if we're taking it that this is one of basil's earlier cases there's not enough time for him to have built up this animosity that's true and i think it has been going on i think i feel like there is a past to this but i don't know what it is and i actually don't need to know i just like that they're building something yeah um and, yeah. and Basil is wondering what he's building. He, he's wondering, <laughs> what does he want with a toy maker? Yeah. So and they go to investigate the footprints that the bat left behind. Indeed. And this is where we see that he lives underneath Sherlock Holmes. And steal his dog. Yeah, so <laughs> up to this point, I wasn't aware that Sherlock Holmes existed in this universe. Which makes, which makes Basil's character very strange. like it implies that instead of having the sociopathy that we would that we would ascribe to sherlock basil is just a stalker with a crush then does sherlock holmes know about basil like he must right oh yeah you can tell by the pattern of the mouse droppings (laughs) that he's in love (laughs) yeah this is a mouse in love watson you can learn a thing or two watson's looking at him like how much cocaine did you take (laughs) all of it (laughs) <laughs> no the pheromones watson the pheromones <laughs> but it, it means that he's not solving crime because he has to and indeed i don't think he does have to he's just doing it to be more in line with his role model it's his sense which, of adventure honestly i think that this implies that he made radigan a villain Ooh, like he did just this on so that purpose. he could have a just so he could have a foil yes <laughs> <laughs> He completes him, Zane. This is Batman Joker all over. This again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is. He, he goes there to steal his dog. There's some nice dopey oboe music surrounding Toby's introduction. This is Toby a cute, being the dog. This is a cute pupper. Yeah, he's, he's a nice doggo. I, I love how he gears him up for the chase. It's not enough to just wave the bat's hat in front of him, he has to, like, growl and say, Scoundrel, scoundrel, scoundrel. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really cute. Yeah, they, they they take their time just kind of using these characters, which we already like, and just having them dance around each other for a bit. Yeah. And uh, Dawson and Olivia join in, because why not? So, I actually don't think I like having Toby in this movie. Like, it's really making things more lighthearted than I want them to be. Oh, yeah, the, the primary heroes running around on a big dog? Yeah, it's a little bit too much. Like, I want my Sherlock to be dark urban scoundrel and i understand the need for levity in a children's movie but it's it drains the tension out of the plot to me so you don't care about the logical repercussions of well how do they get around london as as mice you know it would take too long you don't you don't care about that (laughs) i honestly would have accepted anything (laughs) i don't if they wanted dawson to like have discovered the elixir of teleportation i'd be down like i just man what a movie this would be (laughs) 
we got fucking steampunk tea-serving robots into, like, teleportation splicers. League of Extraordinary Mice. Yes! Swarm, I guess. Swarm of Extraordinary Mice. Uh, X-Mice? <laughs> but of yeah. mice and X-Men? Then there's uh, money here. <laughs> there isn't. I, so I, I just don't like that Toby is in the movie. Like, he's a fine... I, I don't mind their interactions, but... He doesn't add enough for what he takes away. I didn't mind him. Well, in any case, uh, they now have locomotion, so they, they've unlocked fast travel and can now go hunting for their antagonist. Yeah, and they they go to the human toy store, which is being ransacked by um, Fidget, who speaks almost as garbledly as Taz. Like, I had to go back and listen <laughs> to what he was saying again because I could not understand him. Taz is a great... Uh, I think we've talked about Taz before and how funny it is that the protagonist of Taz, Tasmanian Devil is just a, ro- a, a frothing, raving madman. <laughs> and the bat's not much... Uh, Fidget's not much better in that he's he's much more the lackey. Yeah. Uh, but he... You a know, really he, dim lackey, too. He makes mistakes. He leaves evidence behind every, every time, really. This is the this is the constant thing we see with Disney villains, is that they always surround themselves with people whom are l- much dumber than they are. Because they want to feel superior. Yeah, I mean, that's it. That's it. That's, like, this is why Cat R. Wall was such a good villain and why his pridefulness was so apparent is because he kept a bunch of little idiots around. And because we want to believe that if if there's just one evil person at the heaven organization, you get rid of them, then all the people who were really just following orders will go oh back boy. to the good side. <laughs> oh boy, Zane! I don't know. <laughs> do we need Do we need to do that again? <laughs> um. So, so uh, anyway, the, yeah. So this scene, I think, is very fun. Like this is actually a pretty. Uh, uh, this this is something they do in the modern Sherlock movies, which is set up these fantastic uh, set pieces yes. for Sherlock and Watson to bumble around in while they pursue someone or try to get away from and someone. And I love the tiny characters interact with normal size items bit, and a yeah. toy store is a great location for it. It reminds me of that one uh, that one level in Donkey Kong 64. <laughs> Where you're at yes. like a toy factory and running around like absurd gigantic blocks and fighting little spring men. It's so good. <laughs> the scaling in that game was weird as well because the bees were just as large as the monkeys. But you know, I, apes. I, I like I like how like horrifying it would be to visit like Donkey Kong. It'd be like all the misinformation. This here is Donkey Kong country. It's a big <laughs> all the country. misinformation that we get about Australia being full of stuff that wants to kill you. <laughs> that's Donkey Kong Island. <laughs> also, the there's just a gigantic mountain shaped like a dude's head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but this is the chosen one, birthed from the land itself. Uh, so, but, uh, um, so yeah, there, Bas- Basil's a... following the trail of Prince. And like I said, this is one of the better scenes. I think that they do really well in these settings that are very flavorful and vibrant and allow the characters that we already like to just walk around in them. There's about three of them in this movie, and I think all of them are very successful. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's... There's a, there's a couple of really fun parts in the scene while they're trying to track down. Uh, yeah, they they uh, investigate. The bat, the bat. They, they see what's been stolen: uniforms from toy soldiers, gears from mechanical toys. You know, what's the plan? There's this one uh, rather humorous part where they're like sneaking along, and then this like loud, ostentatious mariachi band toy just starts humorously like playing 
very loudly and just co- totally breaks the pace. 19th century toys still confuse me because <laughs> they're all made of wood. And like, I can't imagine any modern kid enjoying them at all. Like, thanks, <laughs> no. Santa. You, you're not into ball in a cup? <laughs> well, ball in a cup's different, or my, ben. or my own variant, duck on a string. <laughs> Is it the same game, but it's painted like green? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You also need to get a cup. <laughs> Why is it on a string? <laughs> um, there's also a nice little bit where they're moving across a chessboard, as we previously alluded to. Mm-hmm. Which I'm sure, like, if you really wanted to be an asshole like we are, you could ascribe meaning to them being pawns or some shit. I I didn't. No, I don't. I don't feel. But you're, the, wel- you're welcome, audience. You know the I'm shading. Not trying that hard. You know the shading is nice. It looks really good, and um, you know a lot of the scenes take place at night in this movie, and the fact that they have that atmosphere around, but still are able to light, like, do the lighting in such a way to to draw your attention where it needs to be. I I found it very impressive. I thought it was actually a little bit less. Uh, I think they they could have gone farther with the lighting because what you want in this sort of scene is like creepy toy shop. Oh yeah, but with it just bands comes of with... light from the from the windows. Yeah, like everything is shadowed in such a way that they feel hunted. But it didn't really feel that way to me. It just felt abandoned. Well, we did get a terrifying tableau of old timey toys just moving on their own. That's true. <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, and so Olivia goes to look at a little toy baby in a pram. But, mm. oh no, that's where the bat was hiding. The bat is the real master of disguise in this movie. <laughs> he, he has, like, three different costume switches. Also, he has a peg leg, and sometimes the leg that it's on switches. <laughs> it's, it's fine. <laughs> that that um, means that he's just behind the whole thing. He just forgot. But we have a series of toys fighting uh, in a similar Rube Goldberg-esque way. Everything, it's, it, there's a lot of motion. Yeah, it turns into an episode of the Three Stooges pretty quickly here. Like, there's and, a lot of fun slapstick and physical comedy of them, like, tripping over marbles and shit. And Basil, is, uh, or, um, the uh, fidget escapes with Olivia and collapses a tower of blocks down on Basil. Well, that was, that's such a good image, too. Yeah, like... And he's, like, <laughs> dangling from this, like, fibrous string and Give that me is, the like... lamp! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Cast it into the fire! He, uh... Basil is like comically like uh, dangling from this like pull me like I don't know like uh, doll where it's like it, it talks when you pull its string and he's like dangling up and down so he can't make it stop happening and you can just see him going a little bit crazier <laughs> yeah and he uh, he kind of chews Dawson apart a little bit for yeah in true Holmesian fashion it's all Watson's fault it's all Watson's fault you should have been should have been looking for the girl even though. I let her come in the first place. Yeah. And he starts pipe smoking, you know. He ruminates. He tries to make Dawson feel better when he sees how much Dawson is troubled, which is, you know, it's the first little bit of him actually taking taking the time to get to know these people and to try to make them feel better. Yeah. Like, he's he knows, very like, bad oh. at it at this point. He's like, oh, when people look sad, you're not supposed to yell at them. Okay, and... Wait, I recognize, these, I recognize these facial muscles before. This means something. <laughs> Uh, Dawson discovers the bat's orders, and they're able to track him track him back. To oh my a, god, uh, I love how they do that. <laughs> so b- before they go and absurdly analyze that list, we get a scene with Radigan again. Radigan. Yeah, yeah. So he's strong at he's strong arming Flavisham with uh with his new captured uh, daughter. 
Yeah, and, and shoves her into a glass bottle to ensure that, uh, you know, nothing goes awry. But he realizes that uh, the bat, uh, whatever his name was, Bunghole. Bunghole. Yeah, Bunghole. Yeah, Bunghole uh, dropped the list, which I can't imagine mattering very much, but he, like, again, he brings out that bell. You can see him getting very, very angry, becoming unhinged. Brings out the bell, rings the bell, and Frank Welker shows up to gobble him up. Yeah, but he changes his mind because he gets an idea. He does his rage to just too pleasant shift. He does this great line while he's while uh, Bunghole is in the cat's mouth, where he's like he's mincing back and forth flamboyish, fl- flamboyantly, and like starts wringing his hands and very quickly saying, "How dare that idiot's battle bump his nose into my wonderful scheme and bungles everything up?" It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> like he's just like. Just having this weird soliloquy in a place, in like a setting that doesn't have soliloquies. <laughs> right. Like he, he thinks he's on a stage. It's so good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, uh, I don't remember why exactly he lets him go. I think he says that, uh, that, uh, the bat can, like, lure him in, lure, uh, Basil into a trap. Yeah. I'm and, having a and... hard time saying these characters' names because I just want to say Sherlock. I, yeah, me too. But so, um, yeah, I, I'm not actually to trying to, to. I'm I'm not actually trying to call it Flaversham. I like Flaversham really just does not roll off my tongue very well. I, I just drop the R to be honest. Flaversham. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, but, but but yeah, Basil, if we're if we're like making this unlistenable audience, we are trying very hard. It's just these names like they want us not to say them. Too 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 English. Too English. <laughs> Great mouse detective. <laughs> <laughs> smart man with the hat and the pipe detective conan there's already a conan get another name <laughs> um, so, uh, so basil inspects the paper entirely too well i first... love how basil alchemies a bunch of bullshit in order he to had the chemicals ready why <laughs> <laughs> i love how he's like he's lovingly urging on his beakers to do the thing that they're doing he's like yes yes mm, very good almost <laughs> he infers from the coal dust on the paper that it's been near sewer lamps yeah, and he manages to figure out that uh, the paper must have been written um, at uh, between a river and a sewer, and there's only one bar near there where they disguise themselves to go in as a like a, a like a weird swindler captain and a gay pirate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, so I want to touch briefly on like remember how he said he's just kind of trying to be like Sherlock Holmes, but doesn't know how like. Mm-hmm. The logical rationalizations he makes are sound. They're Holmes-like. But everything else about the way he was investigating it is so cartoony. Yeah, he's... Like, how many times have you seen that, like, um, um, you know, flask over flask set up and it's heating and then, like, a single drop comes out the bottom? Like, how many times have you seen oh, that in a cartoon? Yeah, it's tried and true. And, like, like, like if you want to... The whole idea has... is so many painstaking effort for such a simple result. That is nonetheless instrumental to your success. Also, like, salt's not a hard thing to test for. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they, he just needed, like, a very concentrated, just salt, nothing else in it. You you, you don't. You need some silver nitrate. <laughs> that's all. He would have had it because he understands how photography works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. He timed the camera just correctly in, in a later scene. Uh, but, yeah, they dress as a sea captain and first mate and go to the smoke-filled bar, which really nice animation like the smoke wafting 
yeah, versus they, the smoke that people are blowing, and they're both their own thing, and they do their own thing in the scene. They do really a very beautiful. good job with uh, demonstrating that this is a CD bar, but I honestly, I think I was uh, comparing it to Five O, way creepier bar scene. So I was a little let down. Yeah, they uh, they watch an octopus juggle. Everyone's throwing knives and darts. Yeah. Um, Dawson has like a hilariously inept disguise like he can't figure out how to be rough and tumble he tries to order a sherry (laughs) Um, lovely vintage I love love that Basil's asking a waitress for information and the waitress says uh, that she's never heard of Radigan but I think that she had heard of him based on context clues (laughs) (laughs) what are you doing (laughs) yeah it's like they I'm could Sherlock not make it more obvious. Everybody in the whole <laughs> bar stops talking. Um, like, it's not like he's making that much of a scene. He just says a dude's name. Presumably, yeah, everybody knows who Radigan is. Many of them actively work for him. Yeah. So why it's are like, they, like, so surprised that someone would mention him? It, yeah, it's like if somebody said Voldemort, but, like, in our world, and everyone had that reaction. Yeah, it's 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 like if... President Obama in his State of the Union address just turned around and farted into the microphone. It's that <laughs> it's kind not of, like that at all. What are you talking it's about? That kind of silence. <laughs> uh, and we get. Uh, Did he, I I recently watched like his departing address to the to the White House correspondence dinner. Did uh-huh. you realize that his last two words were Obama out? <laughs> yeah. Okay, just making sure. Um, we Wait, get. The you same... telling me it's okay to be black again? <laughs> We get the same saloon song from Five Goes West. Um, Pretty much, but again, I think it's a lot worse. Yeah. Well, as the song goes on, it becomes much more mature and way more risque than I would expect. Again, this is rated G. Life has made you strong. Let me lift the mood with my attitude. The time is right, get ready, tonight's the night, boys what you're hoping for will come true, let me be good to you, you tough guys. I honestly, so I had this built up in my mind because people that I know had been recommending this movie to me and the only thing they said is stripper mouse. And I think they hadn't watched Five Goes West recently because that's way more risque. The song says, I'll take off all my blues. She's only wearing blue. I mean, like, yeah, I get it, but I don't know. I just, it didn't seem that risque to me. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just too experienced. You, you, you've been plumbing the internets again, boy? I've been plumbing many things. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. Like, it's okay. I just, I think I had it built up in my mind as even more risque, so it felt like kind of a disappointment um, yeah well the, the the fact that there's also booze in this scene and drugged booze yeah that was that was surprising yeah dawson drinks it goes so, up on stage starts a bar fight the best part about the risque behavior of the, of the stripper mouse and this entire scene the best part about it is how dawson reacts to it which is like <laughs> he goes from very very tentatively approaching it you know trying to still be polite and then he gets one drink of, you know, beer and is immediately joining the chorus line and making love eyes at the stripper mouse. 
he's like humming little ditties to himself yeah um i want to mention something about the animation the piano has this awesome weird thing where depending on how the piano player is playing the notes the keys will jump up and down like off the piano yeah like they have their own like they have their own like oscillation going on from when they hit from when the keys get hit and that's not an uncommon thing but i don't remember where i first saw it like looney tunes probably yeah probably it's it's a weird choice there's a lot of weird choices in this scene Mm -hmm. um basil takes dawson and leads him to go follow fidget fidget is like humming the song in a way that i think happened earlier in the movie with a different character (laughs) like they're like self-rep yeah somebody was like singing rad uh, radigan's like theme song earlier (laughs) in the movie like they keep on they keep on singing to themselves like in universe songs. Yeah, it's it's kind of like in Pokemon where Ash is like humming the Pokemon theme song, and like Brock and Missy are like, "What are you singing?" Like, I, I don't know. I heard it somewhere. It won't get out of my head. <laughs> it's self branding. Um, but yeah, so that they they climb through these sewer pipes and they have these slapstick sounds as they bump their heads, but we don't see the slapstick. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, my honestly, I, I I didn't notice the actual traveling through the sewer at this point. I but my I'm brain very, fast forward. I'm very concerned with how they're getting from place to place. I want to know the geography of this. Well, of this world. Uh, that that's reasonable because of course they don't have a dog at this point. So how could they get anywhere? Right. I hate Pipes. you. You're the worst. Mar- Mario rules. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. So uh, they they. Uh, uproot themselves into like the beginning what's that this scene is great (laughs) yeah this is pretty good they they uproot themselves they've they've arrived at radigan's hideout presumably by following uh by following bunghole and they see um olivia in this glass bottle this (laughs) reveal is so good because it's fidget in disguise again. <laughs> yeah, he pulled this disguise. trick ten minutes ago. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he like secret secret lore behind this. Fidget is actually the Pink Panther. Ooh, and so he's a master of disguise as well. And wait, no, 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 he's a uh, he's Lupin the Third. That's right. So he wants to be the top dog as far as like vagabond trickster detective goes, but. But uh, so, they, yeah. they spring this trap. They even have a banner that just says, Welcome, Basil. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> like, Radigan's in true form here. He ha- knows exactly what he's doing. I have to imagine that all the people in Radigan's, like, retinue have to, like, have been previously put away by Basil because they must be, like, as into catching him as <laughs> Radigan is. Because right. why else would they put up with this shit? <laughs> um, Basil and- has a great line. He says, um, no one can have a higher opinion of you than I have, and I think you're a slimy, contemptible sewer rat. I actually hated that line. Like, I thought really? that was, like, too, like, emotional for a Sherlock character. Oh, no, I, I thought it was a really nice dig. Like, using his trigger word in front of all of his friends, knowing that he can't lose composure or else the deal's off. Calling him a rat was good. I liked that. I, I just... Like thought he he could have been a little bit more yeah. like high society about it. Yeah, maybe it wasn't Holmesian. I I felt like it was a singularly British insult. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, but Radigan makes fun of his detective work. 
and his disguise and then yeah. him in so, general so the thing is every time we've seen radigan being called a rat and every time after this point when he's called a rat he like mr hides you know he like be, goes berserk and is very very um savage at that he controls point. it now because he knows only he's won. only this time yeah and i think that's exactly it he knows that he's won the reason that that insult cuts him so incisively is because it's proving that he's worse than basil but yeah. because he knows that he's better than him than him here he can get over it complex character yeah pretty pretty complex for for a movie like this um, basil looks dejected and they are led on to the james bond-esque death trap <laughs> we'll get there in a second i want to mention one more thing when basil calls in the rat there's this great pregnant pause that i think is articulated just perfectly where radigan just stays frozen for like a second or two still smiling and then clicks his pocket watch closed <laughs> like like he he can't he's like trying to reboot and then just okay i'm over it that's yeah that is really good but as you said uh he goes into a ridiculous uh ridiculous uh james bond villain i wanted death to trap. give you a death trap but then i decided to give you all of the death yeah, yeah traps. i didn't know which ingenious way to murder you to use so i used them all <laughs> just cut in the dialogue it's amazing it's really good you don't know what a delightful dilemma it was trying to decide on the most appropriate method for your demise. I had so many ingenious ideas, I didn't know which to choose. So I decided to use them all. Marvelous, isn't it? <laughs> but here, let me show you how it works. Picture this. First, a sprightly tune I've recorded especially for you. As the song plays, the chord tightens. And when the song ends, the metal ball is released, rolling along its merry way until... Snap! Boom! Twang! Thunk! Splat! And so ends the short undistinguished career of basil of baker street and as like uh he reveals a bunch of wild e coyote traps yeah <laughs> as well as a, a camera. camera yeah he sets up a camera and then rides away on a rope ladder descending from a blimp <laughs> if you'll excuse me i have business to attend to <laughs> so good like he thinks he's a, he's an act in an action movie, and he plays a song on the gramophone. It's just <laughs> him singing this little jazzy tune about his victory. It's I, so it was, smarmy. I was wondering if it was actually his voice. It was. He's just singing it, and then they play it again over the credits. Goodbye, so soon, and isn't this a crime? By now, the time knows how to fly. <laughs> so here's goodbye. So soon, you'll find your separate way. With time so short, I'll say so long and go. So soon, <laughs> goodbye. I was pretty okay with the movie just ending right here. <laughs> what? <laughs> he did it. This is every villain's dream. <laughs> it's been fun. Goodbye, you're going to die. 
Oh man, like, and this is why I love him as a villain in the same way that I love how Catterwall is a villain is because he's like dignified when he needs to be, but what he really wants is to be evil and have fun doing it. Yeah, like he Which, would be Aku's like number one pal. Yeah, and and you know he is true to the bit. You know he's not going to stay around and enjoy his victory. No, he's going to do the proper thing. No, I'm just go going to leave them in an easily escapable situation and just assume it all went to plan. What? <laughs> Did I tell you that uh, uh, I have a shark with a laser beam on its head as a laser pointer? Uh, repeat yourself. <laughs> a shark. That sounds pretty good. No, I didn't freaking, know that. Freaking laser beam. <laughs> yeah, put it on the show notes. Um, yeah, uh, it's what it's what we use for all of our lab discussions. It's awesome. Yeah, it's I mean like, anything pass, to pass get the, the kids there. <laughs> That's, that's pretty oh. good. I love this scene for so many reasons. One, it's because it's clear that he's got so much respect for Basil in this beautiful nemesis rival way mm-hmm. that Sherlock like stories are known for. Like he's taken the time to set everything up just for him. Like it's it's almost romantic. No, it, it is romantic. I take it's it back. Romantic it's absolutely and romantic. It's artistic, you know. Yeah, and he's like he knows which buttons to press too. Like the the like we're gonna see that basil has a hard time getting over this and um it gives up yeah and and one of the things is that rat radigan keeps on telling him how he's 15 minutes later than i would have thought you'd arrived like he's just like (laughs) he thinks he's so smart but i thought he would have gotten here sooner i thought my clues were so obvious he, well, he thought he's so smart, but really, just his watch is off, right? <laughs> yeah, and he's like, I'd love to stay, but after all, you were 15 minutes late. <laughs> um, and so, you know, he... Yeah, Basil, the, the death trap is awesome here. Expects to die. He's got a mouse trap, and then everything else. <laughs> the the death trap, like Cannon, another another Rube knife. Goldberg machine, and it's so cool how there's this record skipping... And that's winding up this thread to pull out a pulley and let this like uh, this little musket ball do the yeah. rest of the Rube And the idea of a song playing as its own timer in a Rube Goldberg machine is so brilliant. This is my favorite scene. And then the record skips. Giving, yeah, giving Dawson just enough time to try to snap uh, Basil out of, like Basil giving out him a pep funk. talk. Yeah, essentially, basically calling him a calling him a little bitch, <laughs> just like get your act together, shitlord. And, and Basil is like, okay, okay. He mumbles some gibberish and he sets off the trap prematurely. Yes, at the precise right moment to like impossibly foil the trap. And uh, they it's all... hard for us to describe. You'll just have to go watch it's, it. It's fine. And he gets out of the trap just in time to grab both Dawson and Olivia and say cheese and face the camera that was supposed to depict their deaths. <laughs> oh, he has time to quick change as well. <laughs> yeah, and to put on his clothes. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, they're still dressed as gay pirates at this point. <laughs> How do you know that they're gay? <laughs> Look at him again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and they head on off to uh, Buckingham Palace where Radigan revealed he uh, his evil plan his is His master plan is so his complex. master plan, they're just going to murder the queen. But no, it's it's more complex than that. Uh, the, uh, I, I like... <laughs> I actually... This is another moment where they shift from the human version to the mouse version and we realize that they're talking about the mouse queen of England because of course they are. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering... I was wondering if they were talking about that. 
Why is there this perfect one-to-one mouse scale of London? It makes no sense. And the bad guys deliver this robot version of the queen. Yeah, they, and they could kill her, but, like, they don't. because And, and this is one of those things where Radigan is a lot like Catterwall because he's very shrewd. He's like, I can't just kill her and appoint myself. I have to make it look like she's giving up power willingly. So right. we, re- we realize that this geppetto robot that he's been having geppetto build is actually a simulacra a working simulacra of the queen which by the way the machine that's connected to this robot is like this weird gramophone winch (laughs) (laughs) that is only you can only use two levers on it (laughs) you only need simplistic machinery and the gramophone so that when you talk into it it voice modulates into the mouse queens i can't i'm having a hard time describing this (laughs) It's just, it goes beyond the pale so quickly. So, the Robo-Queen delivers a speech to honor Radigan and give him an an important position where he'll have all the power, while Fidget prepares to feed the real queen to the cat. Yes, and and Radigan's master plan, like, his, like, like, a hundred theses or whatever... Mm-hmm. Are like just him. He like he knows he's one, and he's just being comically villainous now. Yeah, and so we cut back to see Basil calling for Toby, who turns his ears into a literal staircase. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I, I feel like this movie likes to be silliest when it's supposed to be most serious. This is what I'm saying. Is like there's just like a breakdown in the tone, and it's all on Toby. <laughs> Toby, <laughs> this, this is where you find the. This is where it all breaks down. Why couldn't they have just, like, this steampunk trolley? I mean, I they guess. do everything. They, they have, like, little... They, they could have little mouse cars, you know? They could. Yeah. It'd be fine. <laughs> Why didn't they just catch a bus to the confrontation? <laughs> Why not? Or right off in, like, a, a ladder hanging from a blimp, like Radigan because, did. Because, Ben, as a dog, he's capable of scaring off the cat, and they managed to save the queen. Yeah, as soon as I realized that there were one dog and one cat in this movie... I, I'm like, oh, well, okay, that's what's going to happen. There's no other way for it to go. Um, So Radigan reads through his list of unreasonable and excessively British demands. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's all tax code stuff. (laughs) It's all tax code stuff and, like, doing doing harm to the weak (laughs) just just because it's fun. (laughs) Like, I'm going to raise taxes on children, the elderly, and women or something like this. And and the infirm. Uh, Why are you like this? And Basil takes control of Robo Queen and uses her to fight him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what to say. You want to talk about pacing and tone? This is where it kind of flips. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I think it was okay when it was limited to Radigan being excessively pompous villainous Mm -hmm. like when he was putting up his wily coyote traps i think it was okay because it was just him and it was limited to his character but now everyone's in on this absurd joke (laughs) oh you know you know young radigan always in his room setting up his death trap (laughs) but yeah now it's like hey guys what if the whole town set up some death traps Yeah, now all of the court dandies are witnessing a boxing fight of a dressed up rat and a like robot mouse queen (laughs) so like everyone's just like should we be like doing i don't i've never encountered this situation before are we supposed to ask for some help (laughs) great mouse detective fighting edition (laughs) this is the point at at which i actually realized that there was no lestrade 
Oh, yeah. And I think I really would have liked one here because Radigan doesn't currently, uh, until uh, Dazzle seizes back the controls of the robot, Radigan doesn't have anyone to play against. Like, yeah. he seized power, and now he has absolutely no limitations of how he can use it. But that makes no sense. <laughs> like, there should be some police force, you know? This is exactly why we got rid of the monarchy, Ben. <laughs> well, even even with, like, uh, Sherlock, they still had Lestrade, and he was still hounding people who would do harm. I'm just saying, um, like, a mundane version of being chased as opposed to a fantastic Sherlock version of being chased... I would have enjoyed Radigan trying to maneuver around it while seizing power. Yeah, yeah. Grounded a little bit. A little bit. But that's um, not what this movie's doing, so next but, scene. Uh, losing losing control of the situation, Radigan grabs Olivia and makes his escape. Yeah, for like the third time. He, like his, his, his only strategy, his only ace in the hole is abducting specifically Olivia. And we get a balloon chase. Balloon chase. It's now a storm outside. <laughs> hot air versus... It's a hot air balloon versus a dirigible, each moving <laughs> faster and way more maneuverable than either has any right to be. Yeah, and because it's in England and we need a climactic finish, we head to the only landmark in London, the Big Ben. Right. Um, Fidget is, power, is pedal powering the dirigible, and Radigan's like, we need to lose some weight. Just throws him off and... Yeah. Pedals himself. Because he needs to keep his hostage, Olivia. <laughs> he takes over his evil biking. You know, what's in- interesting now is that normally Radigan wouldn't have a reason to abduct abduct Olivia because he was only using him to strong arm Geppetto, Olivia's father. But right. now he sees that Basil cares about Olivia. And that shifts the, like, he- he's recognized that uh, Basil actually cares about the girl, which motivates him to continue to do harm to Olivia. It's almost like... You know, he, he was fighting Robo Queen, but Basil was controlling her earlier. But he he wanted to fight Basil. He just wanted to do it away from all these other people. He wanted to be nice and intimate. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a good way of putting it. And he he and, knows that doing this, like taking this girl, is his is his way to have that fight. And they crash into Big Ben, and we go right from a balloon chase scene to a clock tower chase scene. I swear, this movie's like forty percent chase scene. Yeah, and uh, which I don't dislike. I think that this, I think that these scenes are actually very good. I think this, this is one of those rare movies where I think the best scene is the last scene. And like, it's visually they, stunning, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, we had mentioned they they do some nice like rotations of the camera, and the music for the first time is totally consistent with the scene. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like they, it's, it's epic again. They're, it's epic. It's tense. They use tense violins and 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 all those kind of classical instruments that are used for you. For uh, you're listening to it now and you are understanding what I'm saying. And so uh, we've seen as the movie goes on that Radigan has kind of become more and more monstrous. And when uh, Basil manages to snatch Olivia back, he becomes unhinged and beco- like enters a Hulk rage. Oh, he's feral now. Yeah, feral, exactly. Um, I wanted to mention, like, the clock tower looks... Co- compared to the rest of the animation in the movie, the clock tower is less detailed but more real. Hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, Not really, no. Just the gears moving and the... the... I don't know how to describe it. The CGI was very unnerving at this point, but it felt like well, like it, something that was more in tune with real with rea- reality than the animation was. I mean, we're not looking at a bunch of stuff that is created by Matt Mice anymore, right? We're not right. looking at a bunch of hilariously scaled down little like vignettes. 
we're, we're yeah. looking at a structure that actually exists and we're getting that sense of size between the mice and this big clock tower. So maybe just by stint of not having mice, mouse society in this scene, we're kind of recognizing how small these players actually yeah. are. No, you might you might be right. I, I didn't I don't think I liked how the camera angel the camera angle <laughs> <laughs> camera angel <laughs> like Lakitu. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he is. He's a oh camera angel. The camera angle uh, keeps changing. Uh, I don't know. I I found it very unnerving. Um. Yeah. So uh, Basil and Radigan have this fight. So I, I really like what happens to Radigan's character here. Um. He, it's nicely developed because his plans are crumbling, and he just like you said, he looks feral. And he becomes unhinged. He's like caught by the cape to like some gears in the clock tower, and it close-ups to his eyes, which just turn red, and like his mouth starts foaming, and he just like gets all weirdly hunched. Like he totally just turns into Mr. Hyde out of nowhere. Yeah, um, and you know he knocks down Basil, uh, but then he himself falls when the clock rings because his watch was off. Um, I think. What what I really like here is that uh. He does the classic dumb villain thing where the outcomes of his plans stops mattering as much as revenge. Yeah, he instead of grabbing something to hold on to to not fall, he grabs onto Basil and they both fall. This is actually like built up much better than like let's say you remember in the Corpse Bride how at one point the main antagonist just turns around and is just like, well fuck, might as well murder the main character and has no yeah. reason to do so. <laughs> this is much better because we already know that that rivalry is so intense, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and even to make a point of it, like as though we didn't realize that this entire movie was a pissing match between these two characters. <laughs> uh, when Radigan manages to knock him off the tower, he comically screams to the heavens i've won while there's like lightning and thunder going on in the background yeah yeah Um, like like, yeah i don't know but uh but basil doesn't stay dead long as sherlock never does uh he he pedals that propeller mechanism from the airship yeah somehow uh there's also a nice scene in where he's rather than trying to get out of the clock tower, he puts Olivia first. Where uh-huh. he he like rescues her first by like giving him back to uh, this like little mini craft that Dawson and uh, Geppetto are piloting. So it also right. reveals that a little bit about him. But yeah, he he does manage to fly away on this little piece of Big Ben that happened to happen to crash, and it ends into the resolution. Yeah, epilogue. I think that the resolution is actually very cute. Like, uh-huh. Basil just accepts the, his personal attachment to both Dawson and Olivia, and uh, they have a nice def- relation-defining moment where a dame shows up on their doorstep, and both of them ignore her in favor of being friendly with each other. That's not how I read it. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, it Olivia and her dad go away, um, you know, Basil tears up a little bit, and... and Dawson is saying, like, oh, you know, I guess I should start finding my own living quarters. And the woman at the door brings a new case. And so Basil, you know, snatches up the opportunity to force Dawson to join his dangerous escapades and to provide him free medical care. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So I didn't see it as a buddy-buddy thing so much as, you know, they're very interested in what the the new mouse lady has to say, but they're doing it because they they missed the adventure already. 
I, I didn't get that any any of that from Dawson. Like I, I thought really? that no, I think that Dawson is solely motivated by people in this movie. Like so, he was interested in helping a little girl, but doesn't care about this, you know, mouse dame. No, I mean he he. What I'm saying is that he cares about helping his new friend. Ah, like, uh, okay. I don't think he has the thrill of the hunt that he might have in some of the more recent like Sherlock, uh, in the in the in the British TV show where like the whole thing is that he wants the danger, you know? Right. And that's what's keeping him as 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 a uh, Sherlock's friend. But but here it, we don't get any shades of that. He's just helping people. It's unfortunate because I really like Watson in general, um, and I, I I didn't see much of it here. But yeah, it ends with you know the adventure continues. Yeah, he gives a little narration, and then the real Sherlock Holmes plays his violin, and the end. Yep. Yeah, and uh, that's the Great Mouse Detective. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I uh, closing closing remarks. I think. I like it better now than when I, you know, first watched it a week ago. Mm. Having time to ruminate on it and and talking about each little bit made me appreciate all the nice little touches that I don't think I got just when I was watching and, and typing my notes. Yeah. Because there, there's clearly a lot of care and work put into this. I think the decisions they made, you know, in tone, in tension, in some of the dialogue choices... And some of the music choices, you know, I don't think that they were bad choices. I just don't think that they worked great for me. I think they were half measures. Like they, they were trying to capture some of the Sherlockness of Sherlock. And some of the Disney. And some of the Disney. But the, yeah. those two really mix like water and oil. So it's it just was hard to portray both at the same time, which maybe led to some of those tonal and pacing issues that we mentioned. Yeah. I, I, I like I, this movie. Ex- I, I have to say, I think I like this movie quite a bit. Um, but I don't like it as much as either the new Sherlock series or as much as Five Goes West. Yeah, which are kind of the two extremes like that this movie is going for. It seems like it's uh-huh. a little too fast for a Sherlock tale, and it doesn't really add anything to a standard Sherlock story. It's just it's I a, mean, it's a competent retelling. It's 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 a nice adaptation for a younger audience, and was Definitely. enjoyable the vast majority of the time. I just, it just didn't quite get there for me. Like it was missing that something. Yeah, um, I I for one expected more musical numbers. Yeah, well, they they went into one like ten minutes in, and they never did one again. There were three: two by the main villain, and one by a uh, 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 you know a saloon girl. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's a weird distribution for a Disney movie. I would think that Basil would have one, and probably Olivia too. To be honest, it's it's like the characters that we spend the most time with are the least Disney esque. Which is fine, because Radigan's great. Radigan's awesome. Radigan's, like, the best. <laughs> More of that, please. Yeah. So, um, I think that the movie being a few years before the Disney Renaissance really shows, much in the same way that DuckTales paled in comparison to, like, Darkwing Duck. Mm-hmm. You, you remember that? Th- those three, those five years make so much difference, like, in, in terms of being able What's to be innovative. Well, it's just that this is very formulaic. Like, it, it's very... It's it's um it's a uh, conservative in its animation style, you know, with the exception of the clock tower scene, which I think was the best part. Um, it was very standard Disney fare, and it's uh it just seemed like it was pulling too many of its punches for that reason. And also, you know, 
the five years of experience that Disney has with doing animated features and animated series in general, it's, mm-hmm. it's clear through everything that we've talked about in previous episodes, and I'm not going to rehash it here, but, you know, that age does show, so... Yeah, and, and you know, I liked a lot of the individual scenes, you know, uh, the bar, the toy store... Radigan's death trap machines. It's it's not that the animation tower. and music are bad. It's just that they are too familiar for me, and I don't know well, how they could have made it more. Well, for me, I think I liked the individual scenes. I just think the connective tissue and the pacing kind of threw it off. I, I yeah maybe maybe so. I mean, it's still it's still very enjoyable and very quality. It's just not that unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that I think I would enjoy more upon repeated viewings. Yeah, maybe. Like I, th- I f- feel as though maybe, uh, maybe I should have watched it a second time through before before going at this. Because and I think, uh, I think I, you know, did myself a disservice finding a quiet version. Quiet um, version. What does that mean? I just couldn't get the audio loud enough for what I needed. You know, really, I didn't have a problem uh, and so with I, it. And so, uh, so I think I missed some of the good dialogue. Well, oh, you, you just. Wait, you listen to it subtitled? No, no, no. I, I, I watched the movie, but I like it was just a soft oh. recording. Of, like I don't know. You didn't do I, your due diligence, sir. I couldn't find a louder one. All right. Well, in, in any case, I mean, like it does seem like you watched the same movie as I did, so you couldn't. <laughs> and then the Power Rangers come in and <laughs> Goldar puts them under a spell with his eye lasers. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts? No, I, I think I said everything I intend to say. Apologies to those who love the movie and recommended it to me. I think it's good. It's just it didn't it didn't make much of an impression. Yeah. Well, yeah. worth watching. Not my favorite. And Toby was a mistake. I yeah, I can see that. They should have just used a magic elevator, a la Charlie <laughs> and his chocolate factory. Um. Yeah. So, um, what are we what are we watching next time? All right, well, next time we are going to actually be having a... Uh, we're going to actually be having the Invader Zim episode that we were talking about because Dan Caves is able to join us for our Halloween episode. I'm Fantastic. Sure. It's a real renaissance. Okay. <laughs> and then after that, we will be watching uh, Dexter's Lab as promised. Dexter's Lab. Yeah. Also well-known for its villain... Yeah, so we got a lot of a lot of good stuff coming up. Oh yeah, I'm excited, and of course we're going to be doing bootleg segments every five episodes now. So, not too far along from now, we'll be watching another movie. <laughs> Dandy. And if you if you have a recommendation on what movie that should be, let us know. Crumpets. Yeah, crumpets. And uh, yeah, uh, until then, uh, thanks for thanks for listening. Yeah, it, it's been an elementary time. <laughs> My my dear Watson. <laughs> my dear Dawson. <laughs> I, I simply say, we, we, we need to squash the proletariat. <laughs> squash them. You followed me, I followed you. We were like each other's shadows for a while. Now as you see, this game is through. So although it hurts, I'll try to smile as I say goodbye so soon. And isn't this a crime? We know by now the time knows how to fly. 
So here's goodbye <laughs> So soon You'll find your separate way With time so short I'll say so long and go So soon <laughs> 